1: Your voice, your vote. Twelve days until Election Week. Special coverage on Inside Sources. Well, welcome back to Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. My name is Jason Perry. I'm the director of the Hinkley Institute of Politics. Joining us today as well is...
2: Morgan Lyoncotti, the associate director here at the Hinkley.
1: Well, Morgan, this is a pretty amazing time of year. Uh, we start seeing the votes come in. These candidates start making their latches dished efforts to plead to the voters, it's a pretty amazing time.
2: Yeah, and those last-ditch last requests for votes seem a little too last-ditch right now because we have so many early votes coming in.
1: Yeah, I think that's what's so unique about uh, the, the COVID-19 impacts on voting is we have just so many people sending in their ballots. There was a time when you kind of sit on this for a while, you kind of wring hands to the end, and not so much this time. In fact, over 40 million Americans have now voted already, which is just quite amazing, uh, considering if you go look back to 2016, we had just under 130 million total voting. Maybe it's a sign of things to come. Let's talk about what's happening in the state of Utah. So glad to have with us on the program now, Justin Lee, the Utah election director. Uh, Justin, thanks for being with us today.
3: Hey, thanks for having me. Always good to talk to you.
1: Wow, this is a pretty amazing time for you. Let's let's talk about what's happening in Utah, all right, because we have some interesting history recently with mail-in voting and participation, but give us some idea of how, how it is going for us in the state of Utah.
3: You know, it is it is going really well for us here. Um, uh, you know, we're up to about 230,000 voters having their ballots already processed. Um, to, to put that in some perspective, um, unfortunately, and Morgan, I know you'll be disappointed. I don't have the data on this, um, but I, I don't have great numbers from 2016 to compare to. Um, but we had a little over a million voters vote in 2016, um, and we're already at about 230. So we're almost at a quarter of the people that voted in 2016 uh, with a week into the voting. So that's great news.
2: Well, Justin, thank you for calling me out as a data geek. That is a badge I wear proudly. Um, but the thing—I'm so glad you just said that, actually, because I looked this up right before um, we started chatting. And in 2016, nationwide, about 130 million people voted. So it's interesting to see sort of similar numbers. We're already about at um, one third of that nationally. We can see people are just so motivated.
3: One of the, yeah, absolutely, oh, sorry, no question.
2: One of the things I want to ask you about is what are some of the COVID-19 precautions? I've seen some of the pictures of those poll workers working with plexiglass and gloves. What are those clerks doing to make sure these ballots are counted and counted safely?
3: You know they're basically doing what you, what you would expect at this point. You know, dividing poll workers. Um, you know, I was up in Davis County last week, and they had uh, plastic dividers between every single uh, poll watcher who or poll worker, excuse me, who's working through the ballots. They're wearing masks. They're wearing gloves. And uh, you know, these locations that are doing in person voting and in person early voting has started. They'll be sanitizing stations. Um, some counties are doing things like single use pens. If you're going to use a pen at the polling place, you're going to walk out with that pen. Um, anything they can do to keep things safe.
1: You know, when, you, when you start talking about those people that are, that are showing up, I'm, I'm curious about the options that are available. Let's make sure everyone that's listening knows. You, you, you have the, your sure option just putting something in the mail, but go through the options all the way up to Election Day for anyone who wants to participate in this election cycle
3: sure so number one um, you can vote that by mail ballot and that's that's what we're seeing you know these 230,000 voters who've already voted they've sent in their ballots uh, by mail Um, and you can either put that through the mail if you're doing that you want to make sure it's postmarked no later than November 2nd and that's a little ways off but keep that that date in the back of your mind or you can put it in a dropbox the great thing this year is we've added uh, more drop boxes across the state than than ever before Um, there's about 160 drop boxes Uh, we had about 132 years ago. Um, So so more locations, and those drop boxes are available for the most part 24-7. They're secure, and the only people that get into those drop boxes are the county clerks and their their election officials. So drop boxes are a great way to return those. Now this week, early in-person voting has started. The requirement is that counties hold four days of early in-person voting, so not every county has it every day, but if you go to vote.utah.gov, put in your address, you can see the early voting locations in your area, Um, and while we're talking about in-person voting, let me just say the easiest thing to do is just to take your by-mail ballot, and if you really want to go in person, and drop that off. Um, One of the things we want to avoid is people standing in long lines, and with social distancing, you know, you want to keep six feet in between people, so a line can get very long very quickly uh, and then finally if, if you wait until that last day uh, on election day uh, you can still drop off your ballot and drop boxes or go to one of the polling locations um, and and again you can go and vote there but i'm going to just make one more pitch that if you can avoid those long lines of the polling locations the easiest thing is to just drop off your ballot we don't want polling locations to become a, a super spreader event or anything like that
1: Mm-hmm. Justin, let me ask, uh, we've we got a great question from the Utah Community Credit Union KSL text line. Uh, talk about uh, what happens for some of those Utahs that are living overseas or abroad or those missionaries from some parts of the state that may be, um, may be living somewhere else. How do they participate in this election?
3: Yeah, that is a great question. And, you know, they're, they're lucky in some ways um, because we sent them their ballots um, several weeks ago. Um, they got their ballots several weeks ahead of everyone else. We send ballots to military and overseas voters 45 days before an election. And, and there's several different options there. You can get that ballot through the mail, which takes some time. But those voters are also allowed to actually vote by email. We can email you a ballot. Uh, you can fill it in and, and send it back via email. So we, we've had many military and overseas voters already participating and already voting
1: so and you're probably as part of this goes without saying that uh you don't really want someone to fill out that ballot for them and send it in
3: no, absolutely not. And that's why we have the security features such as signatures. Um, we verify every single signature to make sure that it's it's not someone voting on behalf of someone else. Um, and, and generally, we don't see that. The the only real issues we ever run into are, you know, someone may be confused that, that they can't vote for their, their child who's off of college or on a mission or they shouldn't sign their, their spouse or partner's ballot. And the county clerks catch those and, and educate the voter.
1: All right. Justin, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, it sounds like so many great things have been put in place to keep people safe, but also to make it easy to vote because that's a hallmark of the Hinkley Institute of Politics, too. We want people to get engaged. Stay engaged. Thank you for being with us today. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. Please stay with us. When we come back, we're going to talk about negative campaigning. because We know you love it or don't you? Stay tuned.
3: Your vote, 12 days until Election Week. Special coverage on Inside Sources.
1: Well, welcome back to Inside Sources. Uh, My name is Jason Perry, and I'm the director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. I'm so glad to have as my co-host today...
2: I'm Morgan Lancotti. I work with Jason at the Hinckley.
1: Yes, we get to stay involved in politics all the time. And we're going to talk about a very interesting part of politics today, Morgan. Uh, Negative campaigning. Let's call it that. You okay with that?
2: Yeah, I think this is part of, this is one of everybody's least favorite things, but it's just this consistent little bug that seems to be part of every campaign.
1: Yeah, and it's just so curious to see. As much as we don't like it, as much as we want to turn off those commercials sometimes, question is going to be, does it work? And we're going to talk about that for just a moment. Those of you who are listening, we would love to hear with you. We want to know what you think about these conversations. This next one is going to be very interesting. So please feel free, text us on the Utah Community Credit Union KSL text line at five seven five zero zero. Love to hear from you. And next, uh, we're welcome to talk about these negative campaigning and the impacts themselves as we're welcoming into the program, Mara Carabello. Uh, Morgan, I, you, you and I work Closer with Mara all the time. i like to say she's one of the most influential people in the state that a lot of people have not heard of.
2: It's absolutely true. She's one of the smartest people I know, and her political knowledge and instinct is is phenomenal. I'm so glad she's on the show.
1: Yeah, she's, she's uh, been a strategist for many top elected officials in the state. Uh, she runs and founded and runs the Exoro Group. We're just so glad to have you with us today, Mara. I'm not sure if we have Mara coming on just yet. Can you Mara- hear us, Mara?
2: Mara, we're happy to just keep praising you until you can join the line.
1: Okay, we'll work on, we'll work on her, uh, her audio for a second. But Morgan, let's talk about this for a second. So uh, we have had a chance to do some polling uh, on the impacts of the campaigns. Let, let's focus on the 4th Congressional District for just a moment, because the question is, uh, is there an impact of these, these negative commercials? And how do we measure it? Uh, let's talk about that for a moment.
2: Right. So we have been polling with the Deseret News for the last several months, trying to really understand what's happening here in the 4th District. And one of the things we really noticed, and this just came out on Monday in, De- in the Deseret News, we saw a big jump in the unfavorable ratings for both Burgess Owens and Ben McAdams. And we're really, one of the reasons we, we're hoping that we can get Mara is because we want to talk about this. What can explain this double-digit jump In people's unfavorable ratings of these two individuals, is it just the intensity of the campaign or is it these negative advertisements?
1: Uh, While we get here, uh, let's talk about our numbers to show how big that impact was, Morgan. So uh, let's take September and October, for example. So when when it came to uh, how people viewed, let's take Burgess Owens first. In in September, 45% of Utahns in the fourth congressional district had a favorable impression of him. That went to 47% over this this last month. But where we really see the impact is in the unfavorables, and that's what we're always watching in politics. Right? Is you say if you get if you get something worse than a three to one ratio of favorables to unfavorables, that's when you got to be a little bit worried because that's when you really know that you're starting to lose friends faster than the the other person. So in, in this category here, the unfavorables for Burgess Owens went from 33% in September to 42% in October. So a 9% increase. And let's just talk about how that impacts Ben McAdams too, because he had an 11% increase in his unfavorables. Talk about that.
2: Yeah. To see that big of a swing, that 11 point jump is really interesting, especially because Jason, you mentioned their favorables didn't change a bunch. So we really just saw that the people who weren't quite sure about them, when they came in and made up their minds, they had really negative viewpoints. And this is sort of a hallmark of the fourth district, right? We saw this with Mia Love. We saw this with others. So it's really a negative part of this campaign.
4: And this is Mara. I'm going to jump in here because I've been listening to your really good analysis. Um, It's also the trick of negative campaigning, right? I mean, we all report that we dislike it. And I think, As a conscious means, we all dislike it. We don't like to hear it. But unconsciously and in the backs of our minds, um, negative messaging sticks with us a little more than positive messaging does. And that's why you see pulls tightening by the use of negative messaging more than you see pulls tightening with the use of positive messaging in many instances.
1: So, Mara, I always find it interesting. You, you know, you would say, what is the impact of this negative campaigning? What is clear, what you just said, and what Morgan highlighted a moment ago, is it doesn't increase the favorables. In fact, you know, it has, you know, a little bit of a negative. But, but really, it's about who can make the other person lose the most support. We lose the most friends. Is that is that the way to look at that?
4: Right. And you said it well a moment ago. It's it's when you're playing on the margin. So remember, right now, this race is about what, three percentage points, five percentage points, right? It's not about most of us. It. It's about a few who are still deliberating. And so if you can't persuade them with the sugar, if you will, if you can't make your case that way, uh, placing doubt on the negative. And, and sometimes it's as easy to think about, do you remember compliments more? Or do you remember criticisms? Right. And when someone criticizes you or says something snarky to you, you carry that with you. You kind of, that agitates your mind more sometimes than the compliments do. It's the same philosophy with negative campaigns. If I, if, if, if you're undecided on the merit, um, Putting doubt about the future fears is a very common technique, but also putting doubt about the kind of person and the decisions that they'll make is a very common technique.
2: Yeah. Mara, something that's interesting is that it seems like these negative campaigns work if it really tries to tap into something that might already be in someone's mind, right? You might already be thinking that about a candidate or a member of Congress, and it sticks in your mind. But some of these negative campaigns seem sort of outlandish. So is, is there a scale? Are there certain types that are more effective than others?
4: Sure. I mean, I you know, one I'm going to bring out at the front is that Trump's really changed the paradigm of what we find socially acceptable. So, And I think that's to the negative. And so one of the disappointments with this cycle um, in 2020, even versus 16, is our tolerance for nonsense and our and social media's tolerance for what is on face unbelievable. And, and that's another topic for another day, but we should all be really concerned about our consumption of, of sort of nonsensical things. But Leaving that out, um, there are different types, um, and what you're seeing now is a lot of PAC participation. These major from the RNC or from the national Republicans and the national Democrats, they tend to actually not be as effective, and I think that's good news um, when the candidate themselves – draw contrasts on records, and maybe even criticizes their opponent, those tend to stick a little more. They tend to also have slightly more substance. But I agree with you. Um, we're seeing some things that just don't, don't even seem to follow. Um, I also completely agree that the general conventional wisdom is to take something you already believe and reinforce it. So if you already think that Nancy Pelosi is a bad leader, and that they're sending the nation in the wrong place. I don't have to catch up with you there. I just have to reinforce that those beliefs are the most important thing you should vote on, and and separate it from the individual candidate. So um, Mark, you are, yeah.
1: So, oh, so we're, we're going to have to wrap that one up right there. Just fascinating comments, and we're so glad you got with us today because you just have great insight. This. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. All right. Uh, Please stay with us after this break. We're going to come back and talk about something that is impacting every single person in the state of Utah, state and local school boards. You're going to want to listen to this conversation.
3: Your voice, your vote, 12 days until Election Week. Special
1: coverage on Inside Sources. Well, welcome back to Inside Sources. Uh, My name is Jason Perry, and I'm the director of the Hinkley Institute of Politics. I'm so glad to have as my co-host today...
2: I'm Morgan Lane I work with Jason at the Hinkley.
1: Yes, we get to stay involved in politics all the time. And we're going to talk about a very interesting part of politics today, Morgan, Uh, negative campaigning. I'll just call it that. You okay with that?
2: Yeah, I think this is part of, this is one of everybody's least favorite things, but it's just this consistent little bug that seems to be part of every campaign.
1: Yeah, and it's just so curious to see. As much as we don't like it, as much as we want to turn off those commercials sometimes, question is going to be, does it work? And we're going to talk about that for just a moment. Those of you who are listening, we would love to hear with you. We want to know what you think about these conversations. This next one is going to be very interesting. So please feel free, text us on the Utah Community Credit Union KSL text line at five seven five zero zero. Love to hear from you. And next, uh, we're welcome to talk about these negative campaigning and the impacts themselves as we're welcoming into the program, Mara Carabello. Uh, Morgan, I, you, you and I work closely with Mara all the time. I like to say she's, one of the most influential people in the state that a lot of people have not heard of.
2: It's absolutely true. She's one of the smartest people I know and her political knowledge and instinct is is phenomenal. I'm so glad she's on the show.
1: Yeah, she's she's uh, been a strategist for many top elected officials in the state. Uh, she runs and founded and runs the Exoro Group. We're just so glad to have you with us today, Mara. I'm not sure if we have Mara coming on just yet. Can you hear Mara? Us, Mara?
2: Mara, we're happy to just keep praising you until you can join the line.
1: Okay, we'll work on, we'll work on her, uh, her audio for a second. But Morgan, let's talk about this for a second. So uh, we have had a chance to do some polling uh, on the impacts of the campaigns. Let, let's focus on the 4th Congressional District for just a moment, because the question is, uh, is there an impact of these, of these negative commercials? And how do we measure it? Uh, let's talk about that for a moment.
2: Right, so we have been polling with the Deseret News for the last several months, trying to really understand what's happening here in the 4th District. And one of the things we really noticed, and this just came out on Monday in, Deser- in the Deseret News, we saw a big jump in the unfavorable ratings for both Burgess Owens and Ben McAdams. And we're really, one of the reasons we, we're hoping that we can get Mara is because we want to talk about this. What can explain this double digit jump? In people's unfavorable ratings of these two individuals, is it just the intensity of the campaign or is it these negative advertisements? Uh,
1: While we get here, uh, let's talk about our numbers to show how big that impact was, Morgan. So uh, let's take September and October, for example. So when when it came to uh, how people viewed, let's take Burgess Owens first. In in September, 45 percent of Utahns in the fourth congressional district had a favorable impression of him. That went to 47% over this, this last month. But where we really see the impact is in the unfavorables. And that's what we're always watching in politics, right, is you say if you get if you get something worse than a three to one ratio of favorables to unfavorables, that's when you got to be a little bit worried because that's when you really know that you're starting to lose friends faster than the the other person. So in, in this category here, the unfavorables for Burgess Owens went from 33 percent in September to 42 percent in October. So a nine percent increase. And let's just talk about how that impacts Ben McAdams, too, because he had an 11 percent increase in his unfavorables talk about that
2: yeah to see that big of a swing that 11 point jump is really interesting especially because Jason you mentioned their favorables didn't change a bunch so we really just saw that the people who weren't quite sure about them when they came in and made up their minds they had really negative viewpoints and this is sort of a hallmark of the fourth district right we saw this with Mia Love we saw this with others So it's really a negative part of this campaign. And this is Mara, and I'm going
4: to jump in here because I've been listening to your really good analysis. Um, It's also the trick of negative campaigning, right? I mean, we all report that we dislike it. And I think as a conscious means, we all dislike it. We don't like to hear it. But unconsciously and in the backs of our minds, um, negative messaging sticks with us a little more than positive messaging does. And that's why you see pulse tightening by the use of negative messaging more than you see pulls tightening with the use of positive messaging in many instances.
1: So, Mara, I always find it interesting you you know you would say, "What is the impact of this negative campaigning? What is clear what you just said and what Morgan highlighted a moment ago is it doesn't increase the favorables. in fact, you know it has you know a little bit of a negative but but really it's about who can make the other person lose the most support. We lose the most friends is that Is that the way to look at that?"
4: Right. And you said it well a moment ago. It's, it's when you're playing on the margin. So remember, right now, this race is about what, three percentage points, five percentage points, right? It's not about most of us. It. It's about a few who are still deliberating. And so if you can't persuade them with the sugar, if you will, if you can't make your case that way, uh, placing doubt on the negative. And, and sometimes it's as easy to think about, do you remember compliments more? or Do you remember criticisms, right? And when someone criticizes you or says something snarky to you, you carry that with you. You kind of, that agitates your mind more sometimes than the compliments do. It's the same philosophy with negative campaigns. If I, if, if, if you're undecided on the merit um Putting doubt about the future fears is a very common technique, but also putting doubt about the kind of person and the decisions that they'll make is a very common technique.
2: Yeah. Mara, something that's interesting is that it seems like these negative campaigns work if it really tries to tap into something that might already be in someone's mind, right? You might already be thinking that about a candidate or a member of Congress, and it sticks in your mind. But some of these negative campaigns seem sort of outlandish. So is, is there a scale? Are there certain types that are more effective than others?
4: Sure. I mean, I you know, one I'm going to bring up at the front is that Trump's really changed the paradigm of what we find socially acceptable. So, and I think that's to the negative. And so, one of the disappointments with this cycle um in 2020 even versus 16 is our tolerance for nonsense and our and social media's tolerance for what is on face unbelievable. And and that's another topic for another day, but we should all be really concerned about our consumption of of sort of nonsensical things. But leaving that out, um there are different types um and what you're seeing now is a lot of PAC participation, these major from the RNC or from the national Republicans and the national Democrats, they tend to actually not be as effective. And I think that's a good news. Um, When the candidate themselves draw contrasts on records and maybe even criticizes their opponent, those tend to stick a little more. They tend to also have slightly more substance. But I agree with you. Um, We're seeing some things that just don't don't even seem to follow, um, I also completely agree that the general conventional wisdom is to take something you already believe and reinforce it. So if you already think that Nancy Pelosi is a bad leader and that they're sending the nation in the wrong place, I don't have to catch up with you there. I just have to reinforce that those beliefs are the most important thing you should vote on and and separate it from the individual candidate so um Mark. you are yeah.
1: So we're going to have to wrap that one up right there. Just fascinating comments. And we're so glad you got with us today because you just have great insight. This. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. All right. Uh, please stay with us after this break. We're going to come back and talk about something that is impacting every single person in the state of Utah, state and local school boards. You're going to want to listen to this conversation.